Requests about God's plan. Your name, your kingdom, your will. After addressing the Father, Jesus continued, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew 6, verses 9-10. through 10. It's harder to see in English, but there's a certain parallelism in the original Greek that ties all three phrases together. Although we wouldn't say it this way, the original wording is closer to this. Hallowed be the name of you, come the kingdom of you, be done the will of you, as in heaven, so also upon the earth. What we have here are three requests that focus our attention on God's ultimate plan for the human race. Each one highlights an important aspect of that plan, his name, his kingdom, and his will. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed isn't a word we use much anymore. It sounds impressive, but it's not obvious what it means. Here, it means to treat or regard something as holy, sacred, pure, set apart. In other words, hallowed be your name is a fancy-sounding way of saying to God, may your holy name be treated with the respect and honor it deserves. This request helps us to focus on the fact that God is holy, that we are coming before the creator and sustainer of the world, and that we want to see his name treated appropriately by that world. But hallowed be your name is more than just a nice thought. To say it, and more importantly to mean it, requires some introspection from us. The third commandment tells us, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Exodus 20 verse 7. On the surface, this commandment applies to the things that we say. We should take care not to reference God in an empty or worthless way. He is holy and should be treated as holy. But the concept of a name goes deeper than that. Paul warned the Romans that our own hypocrisy can lead others to treat God's name as worthless. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. Romans 2, 21-24 We, through our actions, can affect how others view the name of God. And it's little wonder, Paul also wrote about the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Ephesians 3, 14 through 15. As followers of God, as his children, we carry the name of God. This is true whether we're interacting with people inside or outside the church. Peter told the church, Have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. 1 Peter 2, verse 12. Paul told Timothy to be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. 1 Timothy 4 verse 12. It doesn't matter if we're around believers or non-believers. Our behavior reflects the value we place on the name of God. We cannot express our desire to see others treat God's name as holy if we aren't treating it as holy. And we can't switch off our connection to that name when it's convenient to us. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Colossians 3.17 If we want to see God's name hallowed, and we should, then that hallowing needs to start with us.
Your kingdom come. The next request Jesus included in the model prayer is a short one. Your kingdom come. Just like the request before it, we're left with a lot to consider in a few simple words. As Christians, we should be eager for the arrival of God's kingdom. That kingdom was central to everything Christ said and did during his time on earth. The Gospel of Mark records how Jesus entered the public eye. Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Mark 1, 14-15 The gospel, or good news, that Jesus came to preach was the kingdom of God. His message was laser-focused. The kingdom is coming. Repent and believe. Preaching that message continues to be the mission of the Church of God today. One of the major reasons God established the church is to preach the good news of the kingdom of God in all the world. See Matthew 24, 14, 28, 19 through 20. So a major part of a Christian's prayer should include praying for God to bless the various efforts involved in preaching the gospel. Even when he was under house arrest, the apostle Paul continued preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. Acts 28, 31. In one of his letters, Paul beseeched the members of the church, Pray for us, that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 1 That kingdom is still on its way. It plays a central role in the gospel message. It still represents our ultimate goal, the target that we're aiming for. Your kingdom come should be an easy thing for Christians to earnestly, genuinely pray about. But sometimes it isn't. There are two things that can make it hard to pray about the kingdom. A lack of knowledge and a lack of desire. How will the world change when Christ returns? Let's start with knowledge. It's easier to get excited about praying for the kingdom when we have a clearer picture of what that kingdom will be like. The Bible is full of references to the coming millennium, the 1,000 years of Christ's rule over humans, and to the time after that when all will be part of the kingdom of God. There are more references than we could possibly cover, but here are some highlights. The rule of Jesus Christ will eventually bring about true, lasting peace. Not a ceasefire, not a temporary truce, but peace. No one will have to live in fear or terror. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and near. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. Micah 4, verses 3-4, through 4, New International Version. Jesus' rule will begin at Jerusalem and spread to the entire world, and the end result will be happy, thriving communities of people living long, fulfilling lives. Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with a staff in his hand because of great age. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Zechariah 8, 4-5 The rest of the world will begin to eagerly seek a relationship with the God who will have made this peace possible. People shall yet come, inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us continue to go and pray before the Lord, and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself will go also. Yes, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem, 
and to pray before the Lord. In those days, ten men from every language of the nations shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Verses 20-23 Even the very nature of the animal world will be transformed as people begin to seek God. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah 11, 6-9 Peace Prosperity a deep and meaningful relationship between our Creator and His creation. All of it ultimately culminating in new heavens and new earth, where the tabernacle of God is with men and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Revelation 21, verses 3-4 through 4. When we pray for the kingdom of God to come, this is what we're praying for. These are the promises of God's future government that we can get excited about, just like those who came before us, who, having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Hebrews 11, verses 13 and 16. The more familiar we are with the promises of this incredible future, the easier it will be to pray for its arrival. If you want to learn more, download our free booklet, The World to Come, What It Will Be Like. Why might we be hesitant about these changes? The kingdom of God will fundamentally change everything about the world we live in. That's exciting. God the Father and Jesus Christ will be peeling back millennia of self-destructive traditions and warped ideologies in order to replace them with a way of living that will bring meaning and purpose into every human life. But sometimes when our own personal life is comfortable, it can be hard to be eager about those changes. And sometimes when there are goals we want to accomplish in this life, Goals like finishing school, moving out, getting married, starting a family, starting a business, or even just establishing ourselves financially, then the feeling behind our prayer can subtly morph from your kingdom come to your kingdom come eventually, in a bit, later, once I've taken care of the things I want to take care of. It's a natural feeling, and plenty of people wrestle with it. Because we're human, this physical life is all we know. And if God's kingdom came right now, it would prevent us from accomplishing everything we want to accomplish in this life. When God's kingdom comes, God's people will be transformed into spirit beings just like Him, and things will never be the same again. The book of Revelation tells us that when Jesus Christ overthrows the kingdoms of this world, kings and merchants alike will weep at the destruction of the life that they knew, a life lived in defiance of God, in constant pursuit of self-gratification. See Revelation 18, 4 through 20. Referring to the return of Jesus Christ, Daniel was told, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, 
nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. Daniel 2.44 NIV In other words, you might struggle to pray, Your kingdom come, because the arrival of God's kingdom means the end of the world as you know it. But it's important to remember that what's coming is so much better than anything we could ever hope to achieve as physical human beings. It's not something the human mind can even fully comprehend. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. 1 Corinthians 2.9 Read through Hebrews 11 and you'll find story after story of faithful believers who left behind the lives they knew because the kingdom was worth more to them than pursuing their own goals. Moses left behind a life of comfort in Egypt to suffer affliction with the people of God, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Hebrews 11 verse 26. Abraham became a nomad, following God's lead and traveling from location to location, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Verse 10. Noah built the ark that eventually deposited him in a far different world than he had left, becoming an heir to the righteousness which is according to faith. Verse 7. The point is, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Verses 13 through 16. It can be hard to make peace with the fact that we might have to leave behind some of our physical hopes and dreams in pursuit of the kingdom. That is not an easy thing to do. But it gets easier when we remember that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Romans 8 verse 18. The temporary, flawed life we know now can't hold a candle to the eternal, perfect life God is moving us toward. Praying your kingdom come means choosing what's coming over what is. Your will be done. Sometimes the will of God can feel like a nebulous concept, and for good reason. God himself tells us, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. With our limited human perspective, it's impossible for us to see things the same way God sees them. From his throne in heaven, God sees all. But he doesn't just see everything. He knows what to do about everything, and more than that, he's already in the process of doing it. Through God's word, we can catch glimpses of the bigger picture that he already knows so well. Through his Holy Spirit, we can begin to learn to think as he thinks, because through that spirit, we have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 But even with his word and his spirit, we aren't on God's level. We can't see everything he sees, and even if we could, we wouldn't know the right way to handle any of it. So, praying your will be done isn't just a request. It's an expression of faith and trust. Your will be done 
because I don't see what you see. Your will be done because I trust you to know what is best for everyone. Your will be done because I know that you are strong enough to make it happen. Your will be done even when I think I have a better solution to the problem because you have the wisdom that I don't. That's not always easy to pray. When we come before God in prayer, we have wants and desires. We have needs. And when we ask God for his help with those needs, those wants and desires, we might have ideas about how and when we'd like him to answer those requests. There's nothing wrong with that. We can absolutely ask God to answer our prayers in a certain way and in a certain time frame. But prefacing those requests with, your will be done, reminds us that God isn't some genie at our beck and call. He is our Father, and He knows the perfect way and the perfect time to answer our prayers. Jesus Christ showed the ultimate example of this mindset. Just hours away from His crucifixion and death, He told His disciples, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Matthew 26, 38. He was deeply distressed, verse 37, over the events that were about to unfold. He had come to earth to become the sacrifice for all sin, but that didn't mean he was looking forward to the suffering that would accompany it. So he prayed, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Matthew 26, 39. Moments later, he prayed again, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Verse 42. In the most trying moment of his physical life, Jesus trusted God to make the right decision, even if it meant experiencing something he wanted to avoid. We need to do the same. But what is the will of God exactly? How can we identify it in our own lives? There are three components of God's will that we need to consider. Number one, what God wants to happen. This is sometimes called God's perceptive will because he reveals it through his precepts, his commandments and his instructions that tell us how he expects us to live. When we want to understand God's will for our lives, this is where we need to start. It's easy to focus on questions that have immediate and obvious impact in our lives, where should I go to college? What job offer does God want me to accept? Who does God want me to marry? And so on. But God's will starts much closer to home and at a more fundamental level. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Micah 6 verse 8. Through the pages of his word, God shows us what is good. He shows us how to do justly, how to love mercy, and how to walk humbly with Him. That is what the will of God looks like. And understanding that will requires us to spend time studying His Word, meditating on it, and speaking to Him about it in prayer. Jesus told the disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. 
Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Matthew 26, verse 25, and verses 31 through 34. Eating is important. Having clothes is important. There's even part of the model prayer that addresses these things. But Jesus was warning us that when we make these things our priority, we lose sight of what's most important. God's will is that we should seek first the kingdom of God. Spiritually preparing ourselves for that kingdom ought to be our number one priority. And if we commit ourselves to that, then God promises to provide the other things. Food, drink, clothes, the right school, the right job, the right spouse, the right neighborhood, the right everything. God will help work these things out when and how they need to happen. Will God always work these things out the way we want Him to work things out? Not necessarily. But God knows what's best for us. Not just in the moment, but in the long term. Sometimes that means experiencing things we wouldn't have personally chosen to experience. This is where faith comes in. Do we trust God to make better decisions than we can? Praying your will be done means asking God to help us bring our lives into alignment with His will, as is revealed to us in the Bible. It also means trusting that He will lead us where we need to go, even if that's not always where we want to go. Number two, what God allows to happen. This is sometimes called God's permissive will because it involves the things He permits to happen. The most important thing to understand about God's permissive will is that since we have free will, He might allow something to happen even though He doesn't want it to happen. When people ask how God could allow a specific tragedy to happen, this is usually the part of God's will they struggle with. If God is the all-powerful and loving God He claims to be, it stands to reason that He would prevent every human-caused tragedy before it occurs. But He doesn't. Why? We honestly do not always know all the reasons. However, consider the fact that God allows all of us to make decisions. He gave us free will, and that free will means we, and those around us, have the ability to ignore His preceptive will. He can tell us to do something and we can tell Him, No, I don't want to. Or He can tell us not to do something and we can choose to do it anyway. That's where we get into trouble. When we disobey God's precepts, we sin. See 1 John 3, 4. When we sin, we bring pain and suffering into our lives and the lives of those around us. And when the whole world disregards God's commandments, the end result is a world full of unnecessary suffering and tragedy. God doesn't want to see His creation suffer. But the alternative is to take away our free will transforming us into mindless robots incapable of making our own decisions. And so, for now, He permits us to disobey. He permits us to live in a world reaping the harvest of sin and disobedience. Why? For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Romans 8, 20 through 21. The plan of God involves allowing us to choose whether or not we'll obey Him. That doesn't mean He'll allow the bondage of corruption to continue indefinitely. Eventually, everyone who has ever lived will have to make a final choice. Will they commit to obeying the God who created the universe, or will they continue to disobey Him, pursuing their own destructive desires? 
Those who ultimately insist on living a harmful way of life will be permanently destroyed. See Revelation 20 verse 15. And when sin is finally removed from the picture, we will find ourselves in a world where there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Revelation 21.4 But the road from here to there is a long one. God leaves plenty of room for repentance, mercy, and patience. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3.9 If God took away our free will, He'd also take away our ability to grow to be more like Him. Paul was no stranger to trials and suffering, but that didn't stop him from telling the Roman believers, all things work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28 All things. Not just some things. All of them. Whether God causes something to happen, or simply allows it to happen, we have the guarantee that he is bringing us one step closer to the day when creation itself will be delivered into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Praying your will be done means accepting that everything God permits to happen in this life, good or bad, pleasant or awful, is for a reason. A good reason. Number three, what God will make happen. This is sometimes called God's decretive will, because anything that God decrees will happen is going to happen. In the beginning of the Bible, God said, let there be light. And there was light. Genesis 1-3. Simple as that. God made a decree. He told it to happen. And it happened. That's the kind of power he has over the world and the universe we live in. King Solomon recognized this when he told God, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty, for all that is in heaven and earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. Your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. 1 Chronicles 29 verses 11 through 12. The decrees of God play an important role in prophecy. More than that, the decrees of God are prophecy. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1.21 Much of the Bible includes visions and promises about events that are yet to happen, decrees from God that give us valuable insight into the future. God doesn't always fulfill his decrees immediately. Sometimes he gives people time to repent and change course. Sometimes he waits for specific conditions before he takes action. But nothing has the power to prevent God from bringing about his will. He told the prophet Habakkuk, For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Habakkuk 2 verse 3 ESV If God says it will happen, it's a certainty. The kingdom of God is one of those certainties. So is the final defeat of Satan. So are the new heavens and the new earth. So is a world where the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Isaiah 11 verse 6. Praying your will be done 
means acknowledging that the will of God will be done, that nothing can stop it from happening in the time and in the manner God intends. It also means expressing our eagerness to see those decrees take place, knowing that they come with the promise of a better world. The Connection All three of these requests are ultimately connected to each other. God tells us what will happen after his kingdom is established. Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Romans 14 verse 11 He, and by extension his name, will be treated as holy by all people. And in that holy kingdom, the law of God, and therefore the will of God, will reign supreme. God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will all go hand in hand. It can be easy to look at these three requests as formal requirements that we need to take care of before we can get to the things that really matter, our personal needs and desires. But there's a reason Jesus listed these things first, and it's not a matter of formality. As humans, our perspective is limited. It's hard to see past our own personal affairs, and easy to convince ourselves that those affairs deserve immediate attention. By stepping back and focusing on something bigger than ourselves, by acknowledging the supreme importance of God's name, His kingdom, and His will, we broaden our perspective to include the bigger picture. Does God want to hear from us about our needs and desires? Yes, absolutely. But how do those needs and desires compare in importance to a plan that has been in motion since before time began? Titus 1 verse 2. Should the things we want take precedence over a plan that ends with God wiping away every tear from every eye, that ends with no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying? Revelation 21 4? Obviously not. And that's why this part of the model prayer is so much more than a formality. It's perspective. It reminds us why we're here, where we're headed, and who is going to make it all happen. God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. These three requests shift our attention from our own personal bubbles and refocus us on eternity. <laughs>